You're listening to a podcast from the Fred Hollows Foundation, New Zealand. To find out more, go to our website, www.hollows.org.nz. Our guest today on the program is Martin van der Riep. He's the country manager for Papua New Guinea, based in Medang. Uh, Martin, welcome to the show. Thank you. If you could just uh, give us a sense of... Uh, uh, of why uh, the Fred Hollows Foundation is operating in Medang and, and not in the capital in Port oh, right. that's, Well, that's a rather complicated question to start off with, actually. Um, well, one of the reasons that we work out of Medang is that as a program, we, um, we do two main things, I guess you could say. We run a clinic within um, the Model on Hospital, which is in Medang, uh, but we also run a, a teaching or a training program for mid-level eye care workers, and um, we found a partner in uh, Divine Word University, um, and they happen to be based in Medang, so that's why it makes sense for us to be in Medang. That's one reason. The other reason is, is that um, Medang is a slightly, perhaps, easier environment to work in than Port Moresby, because I think a lot of people will have heard um, of problems with, with high crime rates in, in, in Port Moresby, and Medang is a bit less so, so that makes it... Um, uh, perhaps a slightly easier place for us to, to, to conduct our work in. And yeah. some of our listeners who, who, who listen to these programs will have seen the media reports around sort of sensationalistic stuff around violence yeah. in Papua New Guinea. Uh, and uh, it's important not to sort of, you know, dismiss those out of hand, but it's also important to contextualize them and sort of see them uh, as, you know, incidents that, that are not happening to absolutely everyone every day. Can you give us a sense of, of what it's like for you as an expat working in, uh, in country? Do you feel a, a sense of, of menace or, or danger? No, not usually. Um, it, it is something that is always uh, always on our mind. You know, we have to be security conscious in, in whatever we do. We don't have the luxury of being complacent. Um, however, if you take your precautions, there is no reason why you can't have um, uh, quite a pleasant lifestyle, actually, in, in, in Medang. Uh, but like I said, you do need to be mindful of certain things. And I think that's probably true in a lot of countries where there's a large disparity between the rich and the but poor. But are there pressures on urban development? I mean, in town planning, city planning, are there sort of squatter settlements and things like that that you encounter? Mm, it's definitely a challenge for PNG to, to, to deal with the urban drift that they're experiencing. Um, like you say, a, a lot of the infrastructure is not is, is not meant to cater for the increase in the population that we are experiencing. And there are indeed a lot of settlements around, uh, around the main areas of town where there is no water and there is no sanitation, uh, um, where there is no proper housing. Um, and also, you find that people do sometimes get disappointed, um, you know, moving to the city with the prospect of finding a job and, you know, chasing the chasing the dream and actually not finding what they're looking for and ending up, um, ending up in one of these settlements unemployed and uh, no longer able to rely on the land where this, what you know where they came from. They, at least they would have had their own land and, and the opportunity to grow their own foods, which becomes more difficult if you if you're living on land that doesn't belong to you, right? Mm-hmm. In an urban settlement. And so, how do some of these issues of, of you know urban poverty affect your actual uh, sort of day-to-day operations in your clinic? Do you have you know um, sort of eye diseases or eye health problems that are related to some of these lack of sanitation issues? Can you talk about how this urban poverty manifests in your day-to-day work? I think the, one of the biggest challenges that people face is that uh, there is usually, for a lot of families, there isn't enough family income to deal with the unexpected expenses that healthcare sometimes bring along. Uh, healthcare in Papua New Guinea is not free. Um, 
it's not hugely expensive either, so it's heavily subsidized, but it's not free. And and even the ten kina out of pocket expense might might be a serious barrier for people to uh, uh, to seek healthcare. Which is why in in the clinic we have um, even though we're you know, we have to set certain charges in, in line with the government policies. We do have an, an exclusion clause, if you will, whereas if we if we feel that someone is impoverished, we don't have to charge anything, which we end up doing actually quite a lot of the time uh, because a lot of people are just factually very poor. And um, as I said, do you see things related to sanitation issues uh, or is that is that harder to kind of unpick? Uh, that's a, yeah, that's a bit difficult one in terms of eye care. You, in African countries, you would expect to see a lot of trachoma, perhaps, in, in relation to water and sanitation issues. Uh, the issue of trachoma in, in, in Papua New Guinea isn't quite clear at the moment. We're not seeing uh, that, that many active cases presenting in the clinic. So um, if, if I would have to guess, I think the lack of proper water supply and sanitation is, is, is more creating a burden of uh, a childhood diarrhea, uh, which is actually one of the leading causes of death in, in, in children in PNG. Can you, what percentage of your population, you have a, a, a clinic in Medang and you, the vast majority of your, your patients are from a, a 10, 20, 30 kilometer radius? How far afield do people come just to get to your clinic? Occasionally, they, they actually come from very far away. Um, according to statistics, I'm not sure how accurate that really is nowadays, but there's supposed to be about a 20-80 division, whereas 20% of the population live in urban areas and 80% live in rural areas. But, you know, f- things become rural quite quickly as you drive out of town. Um, we, we will find occasionally that patients will travel from four hours or even further away um, uh, to find our eye clinic. But... It is a bit of a rarity because um, we do have challenges in, in um, letting people know that our services are there. So, um, uh, you know, but for the people that know and the people that can afford, they will come from long distances just, just to see us. Where do you begin to sort of raise your profile in Papua New Guinea? Uh, you know, do you work with local media? Do you work with local? Uh, how, do you, how do you go about sort of letting people know what you do? Oh, well, a, a good example of something that we did recently on, on World Sight Day is um, we went out into the, to the main market in, in Medang Town, which is always a busy place because that's where everyone gets their, their, their food and their vegetables. And um, we, we, we just basically did a kind of an awareness campaign. So we, we had printed pamphlets and um, um, we, we put up a bit of an information stand with posters and stuff like that. And we had our, our clinicians there uh, speaking to the, the general public about the various eye conditions that, that, that people can suffer from and how they can recognize them and uh, how they could be treated if they, if they would present at the clinic. And obviously, we're only still reaching the people that happen to be at the market at that particular time. But we're kind of hoping that, you know, activities like these do uh, eventually trickle down in, in, into in, into the rural areas where, where people would have heard about it in town and hopefully, you know, over dinner or whatever, talk about it with the family. You know, I went to the market today and I saw these people and they spoke about this and this. So that's one of the things that we that we did. And that was quite successful because we noticed that, you know, in, in the days after that, our clinic um, became much busier than, than it normally would be. But there, that, some of that busyness was upset by uh, a security incident around your clinic. Can you just talk briefly about some of your frustrations in sort of having a successful event, raising the profile, and then 
external factors. I think you know our listeners would be fascinated with some of the the, the day-to-day realities. Uh, just without getting too into details of operations, uh, talk about how the the clinic had to close the following week. Right. Well, what what actually happened there is that um, there was there, there was a clash between two rivaling groups. Um, just on the street in front of the eye clinic. And um, it, it got fairly violent at, at one point with sticks and stones flying through the air and, and us being that close close to, you know, uh, that kind of thing is just, it's just not safe for us. So it wasn't safe for us to stay in the clinic at that particular time. So that meant we, we had to close down the clinic and, and, and send everyone home basically, which is of course a very frustrating thing to do. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, uh, as the person managing the whole thing, I do feel responsible for making sure that everyone gets home safe at the end of the day because if you know if, if we get hurt then you know there's no one left to provide eye care so you know, we have to look after ourselves first before we can look after others yeah and so then you know you were about to mention other ways that you're reaching out to the community to build a public understanding well yeah so one of the other things we do occasionally is, is we we try to get onto um, a local radio and we spread messages that way and it's in, in, in local language it's called a toxave which is a uh, just a way of saying we're putting out a notice and and the notice could be <coughs> for instance saying that um you know this week we're putting on free screening so anyone that presents at the clinic uh, you know from between monday to friday uh, will not be charged any fees for screening and uh, you know and that message will go out on local radio within the province and, and we do find that people do respond to that quite well. And is radio sort of one of the optimal ways to communicate with the population in Papua New Guinea or how about TV or, or internet and things like that? Uh, well for the urban young internet might work because Facebook is, is, is quite popular in, in uh, for young people, but that would definitely not be the way to reach the the rural majority. Uh, TV wouldn't work too well either because you know outside of you know outside of people that have an income and you know have the ability to afford a television set, those are the minority. So the majority wouldn't have a television in their home. So that kind le- kind of leaves radio and, and newspapers. And um, I, I know a lot of people do listen to radio in in, in the rural areas because simply that's all that's that's there. Um, Newspapers might might also be a good way to get out there because uh, yeah, there's two national newspapers and and, and quite a few people do actually read those. Uh, can you talk about what it's like being a, an expat, sort of working there? Oh, I, I must say I really enjoy it. I mean, it's 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 a very pleasant place to live, and that's what I keep telling people. As you know, whoever I meet in because Papua New Guinea has a really bad reputation. It's you know it's some of the, the the reactions you receive when you say you live and work in Papua New Guinea, people almost go like, "Oh, sorry, really," yeah. But it, it's it's actually not all that bad. You know, we we live in um, um, in tropical surroundings. We have fairly pleasant weather, and there is a small expat community, I guess you could say, within within Medang. So it it you know it's, it's I don't feel completely isolated. Uh, plus having the backup of the the main office here in, in New Zealand, which is always just a phone call away. You know, I don't feel isolated in, in any way, I must say. It's uh, always a risk, and I think that most aid organizations that, that operate in the field experience this to some degree or another, uh, of the local staff not taking the risks as seriously as, as the sort of expat staff. Is that something that you find uh, in your in your operation? That's always a very difficult thing to deal with because, you know, for our local staff, you know, they've been born, you know, where they live and work, where we are at the, at the moment. And, you know, if you if you experience a high level of threat, maybe, 
continuously you know you, you can't be on on your toes all the time so you know they tend to assess risks uh, in a different way than 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 we would perhaps coming out of a, a more secure environment or being brought up in a different environment um so it does sometimes become a little bit hard to explain why we sometimes make the decisions that we do in response to a, a perceived threat, because they might not actually perceive it as a, a, as a risk or a threat at the time, whereas we do. So uh, that is that challenge. But at the end of the day, I, I do think that um, I, I, I do think they, our local staff really appreciates the fact that we put their welfare before anything else and i think that's the important thing to bring across even though they might not always agree agree with our assessment of the situation at least you know they'll be aware of that you know we're making the choices that we are just to ensure that they stay safe taking it back to eye care these are situations that you have it's an extra layer on uh you know of security and assessment and risk management that that, that other country managers maybe don't have to do with the same intensity and with the same vigilance. How do you stay focused on the patients and on eye care and on the the training and 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 you know what the Fred Hollow's mission is when you have all these other things going on? I, yeah, I actually don't think about it all that much. I, I, I just I just know and realize that you know managing the risk in the environment we work in is a part of my job, but it's not the only thing I do and you know, you do have to manage your time to make sure that eye care happens as well. Um, so this is part of the job, really, yeah. And so how big is the job in Papua New Guinea? I mean, you guys have a clinic, you see uh, several hundred patients a year in terms of uh, surgeries. That's right. Um, how big is the problem? How big is the iceberg that you're chipping away at? Oh, it's huge. It's huge. It's absolutely huge. And you consider that the population in, in, in Papua New Guinea is about 7 million um, and about 0.6% of those, you know, would be would be people that are blind, and and I think it's about 80% out of those would be blind from cataracts. Well, yeah, can't do the, the the calculus that quick, but that ends up being you know several tens of thousands of people that are blind due to cataracts. So you know, and that's and that's and and that's what we're working towards trying to achieve is you know trying to make sure that no one goes blind unnecessarily, which is incredibly difficult to do in Papua New Guinea. If you, if, if you really wanted to have a chance of achieving that, what you would need to have is at least 70 uh, ophthalmologists um, performing eye operations, you know, year in, year out. And currently we only have nine in the country doing, doing that work, so we're about 60 short. Um, but despite this, and, and I've, I've mentioned this before, it's just it, even though, even though you know the the task is huge and, and perhaps nearly impossible to accomplish, I still think it's worth doing what we're doing. You know, even if it's just one patient at a time, it's it's better than not doing anything at all. How do you connect it back to to Fred Hollows? And when you're operating there in that sort of intense situation and it's an overwhelming problem, uh, do you draw any inspiration from from you know, Fred Hollow, some of his quotes and, and ideas? Definitely, because, uh, I mean, in, in his philosophy, he says, if you, if you spot a problem, you know, don't just sit and stare at it, you know, do something about it. And I think that's definitely true for Papua New Guinea. You know, we can, we can sit and stare at it and think like, God, oh, it's a mission impossible. It's too difficult. You know, we're not going to do it. We, we, we can't succeed. And, you know, it is very difficult. And we're not, we're not going to eliminate avoidable blindness in Papua New Guinea any day soon, but it doesn't mean that we shouldn't try.
You're listening to a podcast from the Fred Hollows Foundation, New Zealand. To find out more, go to our website, www.hollows.org.nz.